Okay, welcome everybody to episode 31 of the Bomber Brothers podcast, the Aaron Hicks episode. And Sean and Ryan with you. Sean, we're getting closer. We're, uh, what, less than a week from pitchers and catchers now reporting as we record here on Thursday? A little closer. <laughs> well, how are you holding up? Um, I'm surviving. I'm, uh, you know, the Super Bowl was uh, pretty boring. So, um, you know, that's an I, understatement. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to some baseball because, uh, see, to me, a pitcher's duel is more exciting than a defensive minded football game, which I'm not even sure that was. There really wasn't a lot of impact, uh, impact hits or anything like that. I mean, it was a good defensive game plan, but uh, it was a boring game. I found myself very disinterested and. The post-game scrum was probably the most interesting part of the day with, um, uh, I'm sorry, I forget the field reporter's name. Just Tracy screaming. I got him. I've got him. <laughs> Tracy Wolfson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was about the most exciting part of it. And I totally agree. There's just, there's something about um, like a pitcher's duel where everything just seems to be hanging in the balance in every at-bat because one mistake could end in a ball into the seats and that could change the whole game or even you know a successful stolen base then all of a sudden all it takes is a single that finds the right spot and that could decide the game so there's there's something about the tension of a, of a pitcher's duel and, and hey I, I love I also love watching you know a, a game five of the 2017 World Series with Astros and the Dodgers when there's just home runs and lead changes every half inning but I also love a good game five of the 96 World Series where it's Pettit and Smoltz in a in a one nothing game where, of course, you know, that's different than just a regular season game because it's the World Series, and in that case, the series was tied, but, you know, there's just the, the heightened tension of a pitcher's duel is definitely, in my opinion, more exciting than the whatever it was we watched on Sunday. Yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't very, very exciting, That that's for sure. Um, but, you know, I think, I was thinking about it while I was watching the game. I'm like, why is this so boring to me? But but baseball's so exciting, and I think it's that in football that you know the the not, let's say 80 yard plus play where you're not really in scoring range is so rare. But in baseball, I mean, you could hit a home run on an 0-2 pitch, and nobody would really. They'd just be like, oh man, the pitcher messed up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that anything can happen, um, anything can happen moment that I think. Um, makes baseball a lot more exciting anyway and we're getting closer to that exciting baseball and there could be some changes to baseball which which we'll get to after ken rosenthal's article came out and a lot of interesting potential changes to look at there and we also have ben Lindbergh on of of the ringer and of the effectively wild podcast so he's usually hosting podcast but we get to interview him on this one today and that'll be fun and then some other interesting tidbits we can look at baseball prospectus released their annual pakota projections minutes before we started recording so it would be fun to give an instant reaction to that and looking at it right now it has the yankees uh winning the american league east by six games 96 and 66 over the 90 and 72 red sox who unsurprisingly bp has them finishing much much better defensively than the yankees which is certainly hard to argue with. And then, um, you know, venturing away from the Yankees real quick before I dive into the individual numbers, but BP has the Mets and Nationals tying for first place in the National League East, so we could have uh, two division winners in the New York area this year. 
Yeah, that um, that really surprised me, um, especially about the—both well, surprised me. I mean, I guess it's just that the Red Sox bullpen is so bad. And, I mean, what the heck are they doing? I mean, re- relievers are just flying off the board. I, I'm frustrated with what's going on with the Yankees, but, I mean, if I was a Red Sox fan, I'd be furious. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot easier for them to stomach considering they are the reigning World Series champions. But yeah, this isn't uh this ha- doesn't seem like the best uh, course of action to defend that title when you see how crucial bullpens have been to postseason runs. Uh, you know, I know Craig Kimbrell suffered pretty badly in the postseason last year, but the, the Red Sox also had a bunch of other relievers who surprisingly, based on their regular season performances, were pretty strong in the postseason. So that kind of made up for it. Guys like Brazier and and Joe Kelly had a couple big performances out of the Red Sox bullpen. So if if they had played to their normal form and and Kimbrell uh, faltered, the Red Sox might not be where they are right now. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, I'm surprised. I mean... Bringing it back to the Yankees, I I think that I'm surprised they're they're projected to score the most and give up the fifth least. I think in the league. Yeah. I I just I mean I know they have a great offense, but I just I see so many holes there, and maybe that's just me being pessimistic. But I I mean, do you trust a guy like um, you know do you, do you trust a um a, a lineup that's going to feature Troy Tulowitzki, probably Brett Gardner. Um, you know, like Clint Frazier wins that job. The uncertainty at first base. I do you think that. That's really a lineup that's going to score the most runs in the in the league. Like I think they'll be they'll be good, but I don't think that good. I think the X factor Sanchez. I think if he comes back and he's his 2016 and 2017 self, then you know, siding him along guys like Judge and Stan, then I think just them three alone are enough to pace the Yankees to score the most runs in the league. And I think you know you look at these projections and they have the Yankees finishing with the most runs in baseball and they do see Sanchez bouncing back and having a big year. The, 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 let's see, they have him at the third or fourth best DRC plus 29 home runs. Going straight to DRC plus. I love it. (laughs) Just got introduced, but let's, let's go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've read pretty much all the articles that they came out with after they released the stat. It seems like an all-encompassing, uh, pretty efficient way to evaluate a player. Obviously, we'll, we'll seems see. Seems legit. Yeah, seems seems legit. It's by people much smarter than me. But, uh, yeah, to, to keep it a little more basic, Sanchez had a 469 slugging percentage with 29 home runs. That's, I mean, that right there is comeback player of the year material. So mm-hmm. that would obviously help the offense. Now, here is the one that surprised me the most. Luke Voigt, I'll just say the DRC plus anyway, even though me and most other people won't know what it means, but a 128 DRC plus, which is, that's, I mean, I guess if you scale it, that's about 25% above the league average, and a 501 slugging percentage with 21 home runs. So they are, they seem to love Voigt and don't think he's just a flash in the pan. If Luke Voigt hits 21 home runs, next year and finishes with a slugging percentage over 500 and it has him at 404 plate appearances i'm taking that in a second well i mean we talked to ben about if we think luke void is for real and um it it seems like the projections are for real and you know i used to kind of scoff at these but they predicted greg bird's um, disappearance pretty well a couple of years ago. And I remember all Yankee fans were like, no way, no mm-hmm. way. But I mean, 
they they were right on that. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't think they predicted too much of a regression from Judge, and they were right about that. Yep. Judge was for real. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by that. I think that's something that we've both been kind of wishy washy on what what would happen with um, with Voight. So excited to see uh, excited to see if that comes true. And looking at, it looks like they're predicting a very, you know, pretty balanced attack from the Yankees. The only only guy projected to finish over 100 RBIs is John Carlos Stanton, who they have at hitting 39 home runs, so about the same as last year, uh, with a 518 slugging percentage. That's the highest uh, projection on the Yankees. Judge at 35 home runs, 91 RBIs with a 513 slugging percentage. Hicks, Hicks, 21 home runs, 439 slugging. And then, you know, you have Tulowitzki, Gardner, LeMayhew, all guys that are projected right above or below league average. And um, and I guess the other important one to look at, uh, Glaber Torres and Luke Voigt, or not Luke Voigt, sorry, Miguel Andujar, seems like they're projected to have slight regression, still above league average, but 43 home runs for them combined, 22 and 21 a piece so this is uh this is all stuff i would sign up for and of course yeah, this is perfect but oh yeah. go ahead it all seems fair to me yeah yeah and it's not perfect but again like we said they they were on the money with guys like judge and and bird and these are definitely uh better projections to go off than just you know a panel of writers predicting who will win the world series or you know, going mm-hmm. off of something just like batting average. In reality, nothing's perfect. Nothing is uh, guaranteed to be even semi-accurate. But hey, we need some kind of baseball content. And it's fun to just look at these projections, especially when they seem to be favorable for the Yankees this year. Even though there's still a bunch of superstars out there to be had that would even widen this gap even more of six games. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I think Ted Berg put up an article that the Yankees should just get it over with and and sign Harper already, um, which I agree with. Just yeah. go get the guy. I mean, what did you think about Judge coming out and sort of making his pitch to to get him? I, I loved it. I, I would love to see Aaron Judge in center field. And then, of course, some people take it as some kind of knock on on Hicks, which was just ridiculous. Right. Well, he didn't say I'll play. He didn't say like, oh, I'll go play um, center field. He said I'll play wherever. Yeah. So I wasn't too. Um, I wasn't. You know, I didn't read into that like a lot of people did, where he was trying to take a shot at Hicksy. But um, yeah, but that should be the mentality that the Yankees have. This is Bryce Harper. He's a superstar. His swing is tailor made for Yankee Stadium, and look what it did to, for guys like Curtis Granderson and Didi Gregorius. And Harper is would come to the Yankees as a better hitter than both of them, especially power-wise. So, you of course, you're willing to move positions around to fit a guy like that onto your team. It's, it's, it's interesting because it didn't seem like the Yankees had a glaring need for John Carlos Stanton last offseason, and they still made that deal because, of course, you do. That's the reigning NL MVP, and if you have a chance to get him, you do it, and you figure everything else out. And then, as it turns out, a bunch of people in the outfield got hurt last year, and you did really wind up needing him. So, 
Oh and yeah. I, I'm not imagine sure. that team. Imagine that team without Stanton at DH when yeah. Judge went down. Especially the way he was hitting when Judge went down. That was yeah. his best month and a half of the season. So they would have lost the division by 15 games, but mm-hmm. and, and maybe not even played in the wild card game. But anyway, so let's. Uh, you want to talk about these new rules that Ken Rosenthal reported on that could be coming to baseball? Well, I think the DH one would hurt us because it would open up more teams to be aggressive for you know guys like Stanton and Machado because they could always move guys around and, and everything like that. Um, I'm, surprised, but, I'm surprised you say that. I, I mean, I, I could see that on the grand scale, but just thinking like specifically on the field, I think of Chin Ming Wong and Masahiro oh, Tanaka, yeah, no. and I'm like, thank God. I don't, I don't have to hold my breath every time one of our pitchers gets on base. Right. No, I, I, I think that it's time. Um for the National League to adopt the DH. I enjoy the difference in the leagues. I think it's like a cool distinction that's unique to baseball. But when it comes down to it, I want to see the best players on the field, both hitting and and pitching and uh, keeping pitchers healthy by having the DH and allowing good hitters that maybe don't have a position um, more at bats. I think that's, that's good too. So um, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that, um, I would I would definitely say that I'm in favor of that. I I, I am too. I there there's still that group that says, "Oh, you're taking the strategy out of baseball." I mean, National League teams shift every at bat. They switch defensive alignments all over the place. They they still platoon bullpens the same way the American League does. There's tons of strategy in the National League and taking away up spot in the batting order that averaged what was it, uh, 111 last year with a strikeout rate of 41%, I think I saw. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'd be happy not to have to watch that anymore, even if it means <laughs> even if it means you don't get the occasional, very rare Bartolo Colon home run, or I'm blanking on his name, but the, the triple for the Diamondbacks in the wild card oh, game. Oh, Archie, Archie, Archie Bradley? I think, I think it was Archie yeah. Bradley, but yeah. So, I mean, those things are incredibly rare. It's the same thing as when... They got rid of the four pitch intentional walk because oh well what about when you know the pitch leaks back over the plate and Gary Sanchez hits it to the warning track you know those things were so rare and I don't think anybody misses watching those four pitches anymore and I don't think anyone will will actually people will miss but I won't I won't miss watching pitchers bat in the National League yeah I, I mean there's an entertainment factor to it but I think overall you're you're gaining by putting in the DH. Um, and like I said, I think it, I think it could hurt the Yankees by um, opening up um, other teams in the national league to be more aggressive for hitters that otherwise they wouldn't be able to, but um, you know, you seem to disagree with me. So that's fine. Well, I guess, I guess I agree based on the current state of the Yankees and how they're approaching um, free agents and potential DHs. But I guess the way I think of it is, the Yankees shouldn't ever be at a disadvantage for getting players over other teams because they have more money than other teams. But since they seem to be unwilling to take control of that advantage, then I guess you're right. Then that could that could come and hurt the Yankees when it comes to potential free agents that National League teams can now slot into the DH role. And I'm sure teams like the Mets are one of the teams that are probably happy to have this coming along, especially after they just took on Robinson Cano's contract because he is a perfect candidate to become a DH towards the end of his career when he more than likely can still hit and be productive offensively, but his range at second base 
disappears. Yeah, that's that's it's always a key, and plus it allows it allows all teams to be more flexible and and, and fit in more superstars. And I don't know if teams care about that anymore, but I I sure as heck do. <laughs> yeah. um, before before we move on to the next uh, proposal, I saw this on on um, on Twitter yesterday, and it really intrigued me at first before I realized it would you know, mean less jobs for people in, in the MLB, less rest for players and guys like Stanton. But someone said, you know, there's all this debate about the DH, but has anyone ever considered just removing it and batting eight guys and not having a DH? <laughs> and like, I saw that. For a second, I found it really interesting, but then you realize, you know, it's 162 games and you still want to have some of those bats like Judge and Stanton in the lineup and – you also want these people to have jobs, which is becoming more and more difficult every year, it seems like. So that was kind of a, oh, wait a second, uh, actually, no, moment for me. Yeah, I um, I, I don't think that that'd be the, the, best, the best idea. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it would... I think it would hurt the offense more than it it, it would it would hurt uh, more than it would help. Um, it would be entertaining to see players more, but like you said, then you're robbing careers of like Edgar Martinez and as much as I dislike him, David Ortiz and everything <laughs> like that. Yeah. All right. Well, but before, um, what do you think about the pitching idea? Minimum three batters, unless there's an injury. I go back and forth with this one, but there's a part of it that really intrigues me too. I think it it I think it would definitely add to the the tension of those later innings because you know that you that you might be getting a mismatch somewhere in that stretch of three batters and it becomes even more of an X's and O's thing with managers trying to figure out you know do I bring this guy in because he's dominated you know the lefties but he's struggled against righties like look at Zach Britton last year his his splits against lefties and righties were very different it's it was a little scary I think for Yankee fans like I instantly looked at the pitchers' splits, like Batances, Britain, Chapman, and all them, to see how they would fare if this rule were to be implemented. And Britain was definitely the one that made you the most frightened for that prospect. But then you look at his career splits, and they're much more closer to normal. But for whatever reason, maybe just coming back from that Achilles injury last year, he was bad. So if you're Aaron Boone, what do you do with a guy like Britain in those situations? And and I get it. I get why they want to do this. The enormous amount of pitching changes while while we love the strategy and we love the game it's not just about the hardcore fans who they already have they're trying to gain turn the casual fans into hardcore fans or the non-fans into casual fans and pitching changes and commercials especially in the later innings when the tension's supposed to be the highest I, I could see why why people would be turned off by that who weren't previously turned on to baseball when they were younger so I, I i understand it i i think it could help and i'm not completely opposed to it i think like anything it's changed so it's a little discomforting to think of something like that and i mean just the the yankees have great relievers like like chad mm-hmm. green Odovino. they're they haven't changed much against whether it's lefties or righties chapman too i mean he's still loses control against lefties and righties anyway, but his numbers against lefties are obviously incredible, but he's not used as a specialist, so I don't think it would affect him that much either, but it's definitely 
it's definitely interesting, and I, I guess the more I think about it, the more I think that in terms of the way the Yankees bullpen is constructed right now, it would probably help the Yankees because there's not many other bullpens in the league that are built as deep and as strong as the Yankees, and you factor in the Yankees' offense against bullpens that can no longer mix and match against you know, uh, Hicks and then Judge and then um, hopefully Didi when he's back and healthy. So it, it could actually wind up helping the Yankees. I think it would help the Yankees more. I mean, I know you brought up Britain, but the Yankees are usually, most of their relievers can get anybody out. They don't have like, you know, a, the, the Damaso Marte, Graham Lloyd guys yeah. on the on the team um, anymore. I think it would help the Yankees. And I think it'd be interesting, and I think it would add a lot of strategy, uh, a lot more strategy to the game. I think that's, I, I think it's pretty exciting. I thought it was, um, I thought it was exciting when I heard about it. Um I knew that a lot of people would would have issue with it, but I I, I would be up for trying it um, personally. Yeah, I, I would too. I I think uh, I think it's a a good start, a good idea. And then you and then I can't remember who uh, I'm blanking on what article it was I read, but it was surprising for me to see that the percentage of relievers who have come in to face just one batter were actually down last year. And if they're down and there were still that many changes and everything, then maybe there does need to be a, a change made. Again, not for us, the hardcore fans who are going to watch baseball all the time no matter what, but for the people they're trying to gain. So it makes sense. And um, there are a bunch of other minor changes slowly dwindling down mound visits, which I think would be naturally uh, rectified with this new pitching rule because there would be less pitching changes. So that's not too big of an issue. Then we come to the runner on second and extra innings, which they want to start in the all-star game, minor league, spring training. This, the first two, I'm on board. This one is where it starts to kind of lose me. Yeah, this, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I don't know about you. It scares me because I would hate to see that in the major leagues. Um, I don't like any mechanism that forces the game to end earlier than, than it should. If you start changing the rules, I don't like how the NFL does their overtimes. I don't like how the NHL handles the shootout or the three on three overtime. Personally, I think three on three is okay. I I like three on three. It's, it's entertaining. And the Rangers played one of the most entertaining three on three games I've seen in a while last night, uh, against the Bruins. But, um, it's still, it's not, it's not the same game. Um, and, and in baseball, why, you know, why do you have to do this? It's so rare that games go into extra innings, uh, that, that late anyway, I just, I I don't like it. I know some people will say, well, you know, the games end so late and, and everything like that. And I understand that, but at the same time that happens so rarely, why are you going to change the whole fabric of the game because of it? Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum as the intentional walk rule and the and the um getting rid of the pitcher's batting rule because those those things are so rare you're like well they barely ever they barely ever happen so you know what's the point of keeping them when we can increase excitement at the bottom of the order or or trim down game time so this this Mm -hmm. is something that's also rare so why even you know why even put in that change? <laughs> you look at the game today, you put a runner on second in extra innings, and it seems like these days a home run is about just as likely as a single. So even if there's no one on base, just see if someone hits it out of the park and you get yourself a walk-off home run. 
Um, I, I just think I think I just think that's going a little too far. I can't exactly put my finger on like what it is that I wouldn't really like about it. I just think there's such thing as too much, too fast, and you know the cur the, the other proposals they have I think are fine and maybe just don't go too extreme all at once because then you then you do risk alienating the established fans who like the state of the game. You know, find that happy balance. Yeah, I I mean I just think about some of the games that you always remember and those are the ones that are those back and forth battles and extra innings. Um and I you know, I get that games end and, and kids don't want to stay up late and, and everything like that, but you know, most of the baseball happens over the summer when this when this would happen anyway, because obviously you wouldn't do it for the playoffs. Yeah. So kids are staying up late anyway. I mean, it, yeah, it's fun. I remember I remember the Yankees Red Sox eighteen inning game. I think it was in twenty fifteen, and I would I would fall. Oh asleep. God, I felt so <laughs> terrible that that next morning. I would oh. fall asleep. I would wake up like an hour later from a noise, and I'd be like, "Oh, let me just go back in the TV room and see if this game's still going on." Then I would watch an inning or so, and then I would go back. Yeah, work was work was awful the next day, but I mean, I don't know. Those are nights that you remember, and it's just fun. It's different, and that's something I wouldn't want to lose. And although that. <laughs> Although a game like that could become an issue if the three batter rule is implemented, because then you get yourself tired bullpens much quicker, and then you wish that you would have stuck with maybe your starter a little longer. Well, why would you think that the the oh you're saying that limiting the bullpen, not the three? Well, the yeah. three batter rule would make it. Well, the three make oh, you actually, have, actually yeah never mind that that would have I, I've the they're expanding the rosters to 26, but only allowed to carry 12 pitchers. Right. That was the other proposal that we were going okay. to get to next that would affect, that I think would affect that. Yeah, that's, that, that I agree with. That's, but I mean, that's still a boatload of pitchers compared to what they have today. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, 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 I don't like the, the rule for, um, the rule, the rule for, shortening the extra innings and i don't like the rule for controlling roster construction with the number of pitchers either um i i i think the three batter rule kind of fixes that for you this is like a double fix and the second one is not not as good yeah yeah i agree let the teams construct it the way they want it's they want to have more pitchers then i don't see why that matters if if, if pitchers have to face at least three batters anyway, I don't think it really matters how many pitchers they have. But anyway, want to talk to Ben Lindbergh? Let's see what Ben has to say. I'm, he's got a new book coming out, The MVP Machine. It comes out in June. I know we've both, as we said, uh, pre-ordered it. Uh, his last book, The Only Rules It Has to Work, is great. I recommend it to anybody who likes baseball. And uh MVP machine deals with player development. So let's see what Ben has to say about the Yankees player development, and then we can talk about it ourselves. Yeah, Ben Lindbergh of the Ringer and Effectively Wild came by to talk about Yankees player development, Luke Voigt, Aaron Boone, and some fun video game stuff. So here is the former Brian Cashman intern, Ben Lindbergh.
Okay, we are joined now by Ben Lindbergh. He writes about baseball for The Ringer, and he hosts the Effectively Wild podcast on Fangraphs and also has a new book coming out soon, The MVP Machine. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. I think, uh, not to blow your head up too much, but I think Sean and I are more excited for this than almost any other guests we've had so far since we started this. To all the other guests for uh, outshining them, I guess. Then, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, the MVP machine it comes out in June, I believe. And um, so, just to start, you know, we know the size of the Yankees analytics department, and and you were a former Brian Cashman intern. But um, just how much of when you were writing that book did you see the Yankees themselves being um, at the forefront of this new movement in terms of identifying talent? Quite a bit. Yeah, the book is about player development and some of the cutting-edge technology and techniques teams are using, and the Yankees definitely came up often as we were reporting it. I would say that there are other teams that are a bigger presence in the book solely because the Yankees won't talk about anything, <laughs> so they're extremely secretive, so you know, we ended up talking to people with other teams who were a little more forthcoming, more so than the Yankees, but that's not because the Yankees aren't just as into all of this. They very much are, in fact. I think they have the largest player development staff of any team in baseball. They had uh, more than 100 people working in player development in, in some capacity last year, whether it's you know coaches or trainers or managers or sports science people. They really are on the cutting edge. And, and you see it when players go to the Yankees. You know, there was a, a notable story last year when Zach Britton came over from the Orioles and his mind was blown by just all the, the numbers and all the tools that were at his disposal. He just didn't know that these things were out there. So I think the Yankees do a good job of providing all of that info to their players and developing you know, young pitchers. We've seen them just manufacture relievers and sometimes trade them and sometimes bring them up, but they seem to be very proactive about that, and they've definitely invested in the technology and the staff. So uh, another piece you recently wrote for The Ringer was about the Yankees' almost cartoonish height, which they only <laughs> added to with, with D.J. LeMahieu. Not exactly the tall infielder that many Yankee fans wanted, but uh, nevertheless, D.J. LeMahieu's a Yankee. So, so what do you make of the Yankees' overwhelming sense of height and these you know big sluggers that kind of seem like they allude to an older time when you have uh, smaller sluggers like Mookie Betts and even Jose Altuve, um, Alex Bregman. So just what did you, what were your thoughts when you were putting together that piece? Yeah, I don't know if it's an intentional strategy or just something that's happened, but it's funny. You know, they went from Neil Walker, who was one of the tallest second basemen ever, to B.J. LeMahieu, who is the tallest second baseman ever. And, of course, they've added Tulitsky and they traded to Reyes. And it's just giants all over the place, obviously, with Stanton and Judge. But, you know, really everywhere other than Brett Gardner, everyone is really big. And this is, as I mentioned in that article, an era where there's less of a connection between height and power than there has been in many decades, like almost 60 years. The, the correlation now between height and isolated power is lower than it's been. So you don't have to be big anymore to hit home runs, and you really don't have to be big to hit home runs in Yankee Stadium. And yet they seem to have accumulated the largest lineup in baseball and possibly the largest lineup ever. There are some configurations that they could throw out there this year that really could be the biggest lineup ever so what does it mean i don't know i mean 
they've certainly accumulated a lot of guys who hit the ball very hard, whether it's Stanton and Judge, who are just kind of on another level, or, or guys like Luke Voigt, who also hits the ball very hard. So obviously that's smart, right, to get guys who mash, and it just so happens that they've gotten a, a bunch of really big ones. I don't know that it means that much, but, you know, you, you go up to Yankee Stadium if you cover the team and you're just craning your neck at everyone because it's, it's not just the hitters, but it's the pitchers, too. I didn't even cover that in the article, but, you know, right after I, I wrote that, I think they signed Adam Adovino, who's another big guy. They're just huge all over the place, and I don't know, I kind of like just the, the sim- symbolism of it, I guess, just having the big, bad Yankees be literally huge. <laughs> so, so you you mentioned his name, uh, Luke Voigt. He's a big bad uh, brawler looking guy who just mashed in the second half of last season. But but what what do you make of of Voigt in terms of next season? Was was that a flash in the pan? Was this another Brian Cashman steal? I, I know they liked his opposite field power at, at Yankee Stadium. Do you see this as uh, maybe not the thousand OPS, but is was his production sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I think the you know the the obvious thing that probably everyone will say is that there will be some regression coming just because of how incredible he was, and you know probably the best deadline pickup anyone made. Just about, I don't think that he can hit at that level for a, a full year. Not many people can, but he definitely does hit the ball hard. He is a, a big guy. His stat cast numbers were pretty impressive in 2017, even when his superficial stats weren't that great. And it seemed like the, the Cardinals liked him, but he was kind of blocked at first base there because they had Martinez, they had Carpenter. He just wasn't getting much playing time. And it seems to have been a, a pretty astute pickup to just go grab a guy who hadn't really broken through in the big leagues yet, but had those underlying skills and just didn't have a a place to put them into use with his team. So, I mean, I've been a big Greg Bird fan, just going back to his minor league career and when he came up, I remember writing something glowing about him for Grantland, and I I continue to think that he has some skill and, and that one of these years, maybe he can put it together, but you know, you have injury after injury and you start to worry about whether a guy either is injury prone or just has been damaged so much by his past injuries that maybe the skills aren't quite there yet. So I'll be interested to see what happens there. They're both very large, so they fit right in with the rest of the lineup. And I don't know, I, I keep thinking that there's more in Greg Bird if he could just stay on the field, but right now I think you'd have to give Voight the upper hand, and it certainly seems as if he could continue to be productive, and first base these days in baseball is not really a a position where there are that many mashers, even though historically that's been the case. We're kind of in a little lull right now with first base hitters, so I think maybe the the combination of those two guys may give the Yankees some, some pretty good production compared to most other teams. Yeah, and, and Ben, um, not only the acquisition of Luke Voigt, but the Yankees also have made several deadline moves over, over the last two years, and they've been noted for dealing more of their higher-level AA and AAA-level prospects. And that's also been notable because not many of them, uh, especially in the you know the, maybe the last five years, have really panned out for the teams that acquired them. Do you think that could be in relation to the Yankees' development system in where the Yankees know exactly what they have and, and what they've invested in a guy and maybe they, they know what what other teams don't and that they've put enough into this player and it's just not going to pan out the way that maybe scouts would think it would? 
Yeah, I think that's possible. We've definitely seen more trades around baseball than we used to, and I think that could have something to do with it. I, I talked to a number of people with teams while we were working on the book just about trading because we've seen in so many cases, most notably the Astros, but, but lots of teams will acquire someone and make some tweak and say, hey, we think you could be even better than you've been if you just threw this pitch more often or maybe threw in this location more often. And you see that a lot of times where you'll pick up a guy and, you know, maybe you'll be happy with him if he just continues to play as well as he has in the past. But a lot of these teams will just trade for a guy and then immediately sit him down and have a meeting with the coaches and the analytics people and show him some heat maps and suddenly change his approach. And so I think that is something you're seeing more and more. You're looking for guys who maybe are just not utilizing their skills as well as they could. And you try to target those guys and, and go get them. And, you know, it works in the other way, too. If you see based on the data that you have and, you know, every team has minor league track man data, for instance, but there is information that each team has about its own players that other teams don't have, you know, whether it's, say, uh, Rapsodo type spin information that can tell you how efficient someone's spin is or wearable data that can tell you about some of his on and off field behavior and makeup stuff. I mean, there's always been kind of an information asymmetry there where you know more about your own players, but I think if anything, that has grown now. And so it certainly could be the case. Of course, the Yankees have kind of always traded prospects and that's how they work. They, you know, go get established guys and sign free agents and, you know, relative to the past, they have committed more to their homegrown products than they had in the past. But I think maybe they're just churning out so many attractive pitchers particularly that they can just kind of use those guys as trade chips and it, it doesn't really hurt their major league roster oh absolutely and, and you know you just alluded to that the yankees are relying a little bit more on their their uh, you know up-and-coming players rather than going out and, and getting the big free agents and that's really been something that's changed um since i guess the 2014 offseason where they kind of went a little bit crazy but the rest of baseball seems to have followed with that and obviously now we're in period of labor uncertainty especially uh, i know look, looking down the road with the cba but what what role do you think the yankees have played in sort of influence influencing the culture and, and pulling back that always going for it attitude and and being a little bit more restrained yeah, I, I mean, they're one of a few teams, many teams really, that are pursuing that course right now. But I think to have the Yankees do it and to state publicly or at least imply publicly that that's what they're doing probably does give other teams some cover when it comes to that. I mean, if the, the ultimate free spenders are suddenly kind of hoarding their young players and worrying about the luxury tax and all of that, I mean, this is the team that just mints money more than any other franchise. So if they're thinking this way and saying it, then it really, you know, makes it almost more acceptable for anyone else to say it or behave the same way. So I think that is part of it. And, you know, I mean, committing to young players is something that I think makes sense, just even aside from the money and, and the spending. It, that was kind of always the criticism of the Yankees, that they would not develop young players and they'd have to go out and get free agents who were passing their prime and then you know they would just be less productive and they'd 
have a, a bunch of guys on the downside of their career who were maybe more injury prone and you know maybe there's a, an element of mercenariness to to it also so that if you're a fan of the team and they just keep importing players you don't identify with them in the same way that you do with someone you saw come up and, and mature in your team's uniform so I think they're doing sort of the same thing that everyone else is trying to do right now and that has proven to be the way to win historically speaking and that kind of correlates with less spending under this current MLB structure that was collectively bargained but seems to have really backfired for the players right now because we're just seeing all of the the talent concentrated in baseball in these young players who are in their first few years of service when they're really not getting paid and so teams are just getting all the value out of them in those early years and then by the time they reach free agency and they're maybe headed downhill teams are saying well we've seen what happens in the past when you commit to these older players and they just keep declining and well why should we sign someone to an eight-year deal if we can just make some technology-aided tweak and maybe we can make someone obscure just as productive as this brand name guy so this is something that's happening all over baseball and and the fact that the Yankees are leading the way probably has as much to do with that as anything just because they kind of are the team that you know when they were spending a ton everyone had to spend to keep up with them and if they're not going to be pushing the payroll limits then they're not exerting that upward pressure on the rest of the league. That's a great point. And another thing that the Yankees have sort of uh, followed a league trend in is is the hiring of Aaron Boone, who's noted to be a much better communicator than Joe Girardi. But uh, in in my observations in in the first year, I felt that he did show some um, did show some rookie managerial mistakes and, and, and things like that. Um, Whereas Alex Cora, who was also a rookie manager, seemed to be a little bit more seasoned, maybe from having his his bench duties. But either way, the players seem to really have enjoyed playing under Boone and only have glowing things to say about him. Do you do you think that that's a, a trend in baseball where maybe some of these managers are coached up a little bit more? So a guy like Aaron Boone, who is a good communicator, does understand the X's and O's a little bit more, and so he's not so overwhelmed by like say his first postseason or something like that. Yeah, front offices are are really attracted to these younger and and less experienced managers for a few reasons, I think. One of them is that they think maybe they'll work better and connect better with young players who are populating the rosters these days. Another is that if a manager isn't set in his ways and doesn't have that authority from having managed for decades in the past, then they'll be more receptive to front office input if the front office says, hey, we want you to shift or we want you to set the lineup this way or this is how we we want you to handle your pitching staff, you know, they're not going to be so set in their ways and and feel like everything that happens on the field is under their control. And so I think there's more of a a collaborative relationship there. Another thing is that if you're an established manager, historically speaking, you get to pick all your coaches and you have your whole coaching staff. And sometimes those coaches are good, but sometimes they're kind of like the manager's drinking buddies and, 
you know, they may or may not be the best choices for coaches. And these days, teams are really trying to continue to develop players in the majors. And so they want the major league coaches to really be part of that player development process that extends all the way down through the minors. And they want to have them be, you know, up with all of the, the latest techniques and technology. And so if you're just kind of bringing back these retreads who entered the game in an earlier era, maybe you're not getting that from them. So I think that's why we're seeing more and more guys like this. But I do think, as you're saying, there is some advantage to having been there before in some capacity and for Cora to have been the bench coach with the Astros and to have seen how things work and how that decision making works just to kind of get his feet wet probably did benefit him with the Red Sox last year. So I don't know. Hopefully there's maybe some happy medium where you're not pulling everyone directly from the broadcast booth or retirement but you know maybe they have some brief apprenticeship somewhere at least just one year you know so that you're not throwing them into the deep end i, I think that could help and you know i, I think Boone did a good job and, and the yankees won a lot of games and uh, you know it did seem that when they got to the division series they sort of abandoned the the game plan and the blueprint a little bit at times so maybe that's something that he improves upon this year yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I admit, as, as a fan, I got a little bit frustrated, especially after Girardi handled the bullpen well, but the human side there was obviously missing with his players, and I thought you definitely saw that in some of their responses after they came back against the Indians. Um, but, you know, speaking about the human side of the game, you, you have the MVP machine coming out uh, this year, and before that, you wrote, the only rule is it has to work, which I know Ryan and I both read and, and we both loved, and one of the things that really stuck out to me and I know we spoke about this has been the human side of the game and it, it really it wasn't a book that was about I mean to me it's not a book that was just about running a baseball team by stats but it was more about your your adventure and, and the player's response to to how to handle that and, and how to be a leader and things like that and I mean you know the book's performance speaks for itself a New York Times bestseller were you surprised being that that was your first book the reaction that it got I mean it's nothing but positive things on Amazon a bestseller what was your reaction to I guess the the book's reception well uh, of course we were anxious I mean going into the project we didn't know how the season would would play out and there was a lot of uncertainty even halfway through the season when we were have a, having a really tough time getting our ideas through you know are we going to have anything to write about? What is this book going to be? It definitely did turn out to be different than we had envisioned it. We had thought of it more as a, a stats book and what happens when you run a team a certain way. And really, as you said, it, it turned out to be more about the difficulty of implementing that kind of change and the negotiation and the diplomacy that comes into it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with the reception to the book and, and that it's meant something to people. I think that we had high hopes initially just because the idea was so exciting to us. And I think it was easy for us to convey to other people, even if they weren't big baseball fans. I think everyone kind of got the idea of hey, just a couple of nerds who've never worked for a baseball team in any real capacity going in and, and making all the decisions. I mean, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people 
you know, could envy or could imagine themselves doing because we all watch our sports teams and we all kind of play GM and play manager and think this is what we would do and, oh, we could do it better. And, you know, we actually got the chance to, to do that at, at one of the lowest levels of professional baseball. So I think we were really excited about the idea and I think people were intrigued by the premise. So we just had to not screw it up. And we did screw it up, but it turned out that uh, screwing it up actually made for a more interesting book. We're talking with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer and Effectively Wild. Uh, before we let you go, Ben, you also write about video games for The Ringer, and Sean and I just recently finished the uh, Spider-Man game for PS4. If you've played it, just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I think Sean and I agree that it was one of, if not our favorite, uh, one-player storyline game, and was just uh, wondering your thoughts on it. I did play it, and I did enjoy it. I wrote something about it for The Ringer. I, I wrote specifically about just the, the web-slinging mechanic because I thought that worked so well. Uh, so I talked to some of the developers about how they managed to perfect that. But I thought it was great. I, you know, I, I don't think I, I, I never ended up playing the, the DLC because it came out right when I was in the middle of trying to finish the book. It was uh, terrible timing, so I, I've been looking forward to that. I just kind of went into media deprivation mode for a few months, and now I'm catching up on everything I missed. So I think I will revisit that, but it was great. As a New Yorker, it was fun to just swing around a, a city that looked like one I'm very familiar with, and I thought they really nailed that mechanic. I, I'm not a huge comic book superhero guy despite my nerdiness in other areas but I was definitely grabbed by the story and uh, I thought they just did a really great job with it I, I liked Spider-Man 2 I, you know, I liked some early Spider-Man games but I thought this was probably the, the one that made the most of the license yeah, the DLCs were good. I recommend them. They they dwindle some of the Mary Jane sneak arounds too. So it it's uh, <laughs> it was they, good, they were good. Yeah. Stealth missions are never my my strong suit in video games. No, me neither. Um, thanks so much, Ben. That's uh, Ben Lindbergh from The Ringer and Effectively Wild. He has the MVP machine coming out soon that he and Travis Sawchick wrote. And Sean and I have pre-ordered our copy. Everyone else should too. Ben, thanks again. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. Good talking to you guys. Thanks, Ben. All right, that was Ben Lindbergh, and huge thanks to him, as always, insightful stuff, as you'll hear on Effectively Wild if you ever listen to him there, and any of his articles on The Ringer or his book, new book that's coming out. But, uh, Sean, it seems like the Yankees played a pretty big part in his book, The MVP Machine, which I don't think is very surprising considering the known size of the Yankees' analytical staff and how much they're putting into player development. And like you pointed out to me before we started recording, that that commitment has already started to show on the field based on the Yankees' homegrown talent that have begun to perform in the majors. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees obviously are going to be cautious with guarding their their information, as Ben alluded to. And uh, I, I wasn't really surprised by that. I'm sure you're not either. But um, I, I just I wish I had the time to go through it, but I was thinking about it. And if you think about the Yankees' player development, from, from the 2005 uh, to 2000. 14 season i mean if you think about the yankees that were like truly homegrown or came over you have really of impact players only cano 
Gardner, um, Phil Hughes, and um, Robertson and Batances, I would say. I mean, Chamberlain had an effective month. Melky Cabrera was never really anything big. Um, but then you look at what's happened in the, since then. I mean, um, Sanchez went on the Babe Ruth tear. Judge, um, Torres, Andujar. They've had so much so much production come up from the farm system through player development um, that it's really encouraging. And I think the only discouraging part is, which we touched on with Ben, is that it kind of gives the Yankees an out to not spend as much money. Yeah, I agree. The The Red Sox have that same young core, too, but they complemented it with contracts like J.D. Martinez, and obviously that was a huge difference last year. So, you know, as Lim- Ben Lindbergh said, it seems like the rest of baseball would follow a team like the Yankees because they are the wealthiest and the team that had usually in the past went out and spent that money on free agents and other teams used to have to counter, but seems like that might not be the case anymore. And the Yankees are playing a big part in what could be a coming work stoppage in baseball. And then you have Aaron Boone yesterday saying that the Yankees are done adding pieces. And that would obviously mean no Bryce Harper, no Manny Machado. So I feel like this is kind of a f- all related a fact. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's all related and I feel like it's a a statement that we kind of all assumed anyway, based on how this has been going recently. But what were your thoughts on kind of seeing that another nail in the coffin of Harper Machado and pinstripes? Um, I, I really don't trust when, when people say that kind of stuff. So it doesn't, I'm just kind of, it's just like, you know, if he was like, yeah, we're still looking to reel in some big fish that would send up alarms and antennas all over to you know all the other teams and everything like that (laughs) the funny thing Um, is the funny thing is though would it because the yankees have said that they're going big game hunting that they're a fully operational death star and then they get dj lemayhew and troy tulowitzki so i'm almost feeling like if he did say that i'd feel worse about the yankees chances that's that's fair but um i don't know i mean you know cashman likes to play the the short game and and i mean i guess when he said fully operational death star he meant bullpen because that's really where the yankees have invested and yeah you know they they made the big trade for paxton which is exciting but um i don't know if you saw Lindsay adler's article on, i did uh, i did paxton it was, it was really, really good. good or already becoming one of my favorites um but yeah well uh i mean we'll see i i don't really trust that that they're done i think they're gonna add another depth piece to the rotation at a minimum. And I think, I think if the price comes down, they'll land one more guy. I thought Harper or Machado, I'm still holding out hope, man. Yeah, There's no, no reason it's... for them not, not to, if the price keeps falling and, uh, I don't know. I just keep thinking now, did you see the, um, the projections on Harper and Machado over a 10 year period? It's actually projected that Harper will produce more wins above replacement. What did you think about that? Yeah, because I know I know you've been a Machado guy and you kind of swayed me, but I like Harper more. I'm just like, huh? Yeah, I I, I, and again, this is just going off the numbers that they've produced in their careers up to this point. I could see Harper becoming even more of a monster at, at Yankee Stadium if he were to come to New York. But, you know, Machado just leading all of baseball and played appearances over the last seven years. He's always out on the field. He showed when he went to the Dodgers to a team that puts him in a position to 
be good in the infield by shifting a lot, and the Orioles were one of the teams that were lagging behind in that area. His defense dramatically improved, and Machado has just been a more consistent hitter, I feel like. You know, uh, Harper had that incredible 2015, one of the best offensive seasons of all time. He was uh, great at points last year and in 2017, but you know he does have some pretty big gaps in month spans over the years where he hasn't been productive. And again, it's <laughs> I would take either one of them, but it's yeah. just, you know you have to choose one, and that's just who I would go with. I am a little surprised that they um, that that was the projections for Harper and Machado but hey again I would be fine with either one yeah and I mean it's close enough you know wins above replacement uh you know either one you're not going wrong and you're still getting good value value on the contract so I'm I'm good with either one um and you know we did talk about Mr. Boone with with Ben and I'm hoping too for a little improvement out of the on the bench there with him as well um which you know, it seems like having a little bit seasoning maybe maybe will help. So you know, we'll see. I'm, um, but you know, it's something that I'm glad we talked about because I feel like we're very negative about the state of baseball in terms of signings and stuff like that for the Yankees. But it is an improvement over the way things were. When I mean, we got excited when Austin Romine came up. Now, I mean, they we have all these guys that are our guys, and I don't know about you, but it definitely, you know, I never stopped loving the Yankees, but it definitely reinvigorated that that like ultra diehard fandom where I'm like all about it all the time. Once they brought up guys like Judge, yeah, uh, it started with Bird, but Judge Sanchez, Bird, um, you know, Severino, I didn't even mention him. Um, it definitely feels like you have more ownership over the team just because these are guys that you've watched grow coming up through the system and everything like that. Yeah, shockingly enough, it's uh, more enjoyable to watch Glaber Torres than Stephen Drew or uh, <laughs> Miguel Andujar than Chase Headley and and uh, Aaron Judge over Lyle Overbay in right field. So, yeah, I... Uh, this Can't is, take his bat out of the lineup. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah, this has been... Uh, it was. It's definitely been fun these past two years to watch these guys turn into stars in the league. But again, now it's time to use your greatest strength, which is your money, and to go mm-hmm. get other established superstars to catapult your team from in the mix to the above and beyond favorite. I I 100% agree, and you know it's not over yet. But spring training opens up next Wednesday, so let's. Um... You know, let's see if they, there's a couple more moves to pull. I know we talked about it last week. They've they've done some things at the beginning of spring training in the past. So we'll see if anything else is to follow. Well, as you just said, pitchers and catchers report next week. So, I mean, do I have to ask what you're looking forward to in the next week? Or, I mean, it is, it is just pitchers and catchers reporting, but it's just kind of another one of those dates you can circle on the calendar that, uh, you know, says that baseball is – one step closer to being back. Yeah, we're chipping away. I mean, I saw videos of, you know, Frazier, Bird, and Voight already down there working out, which is exciting. And, um, I mean, I think it just, you know, you start to see guys throwing and, and you know, then the games start, uh, the spring training games. And even though I don't like to watch them because I just, I'm like, I can just check the stats because the games don't matter. And if somebody, if I watch and somebody gets hurt, 
I'm just going to get upset. So, <laughs> um, but, but it gives, you know, it's just like, it's the feeling that, that the season's coming up and you start getting excited and, and seeing how rosters are, are, and battles are taking place. And, you know, we'll see if Frazier can win some more time in the outfield. That's something I definitely would be interested in. And if they give Stanton more time out there as well, that'd be another interesting thing to watch. So, yeah, what I'm looking forward to next week is just the official opening of spring training. And I'm sure that's what you are, too. And I won't say that you can't steal it because this is what we've been waiting for since yeah. October 11th or 12th or whenever the, they got knocked out. Yep. No, that's mine, too. And that's I can't even think of anything else that I'm looking forward to because nothing's really going on anymore. But um, yeah, it's it's such a dead period for sports right now. Up until really up until we get to Selection Sunday, um, or you know the week before when you have the conference tournaments in college basketball, there's really not much not much doing right now. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, you got the NBA trade deadline today, and hopefully, some more baseball moves get made. But um, my question for you today is who are your top three favorite Yankees on the team right now? Uh, I'd say D.D. Judge are my, or would be top two, and uh, C.C. Okay, cool. What about you? Um, I'd pretty much copy and paste that, but I might flip Tanaka in for, for C.C. Or Batanzas. I really like Batanzas a lot, too. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of those guys. I've always been a Gardner guy, but, you know, he's kind of been, you know, marginalized over the yeah <laughs> or last couple of years just because he's older but yeah hopefully he can provide some kind of production next year and what's hopefully a, a more limited role to maximize him at the plate but anyway that's uh that's all we got for episode 31 so uh thanks so much to ben Lindbergh. that was a, a great interview and awesome to talk to him and we will see who we uh bring on next week and as we become one step closer so maybe when we were depending on what day we record next week it will there will be players on the field getting ready for the season so that's exciting i'm i'm pumped up to see uh to see them start to throw hopefully uh hopefully chapman's knee is all fixed up too i don't want to have to deal with that again yeah and sanchez's shoulder yeah well we'll take him along slow so all right well we will find out more with all that next week thanks to everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week